My name is Sundasmati McCarthy. I am the advisor of the Muslim Student Association. I am so happy to see you guys today for this wonderful event. Um, the Muslim Student Association meets every uh, first and third Thursday of the month, typically in U111. Luckily, we were able to have the space in the library today, the beautiful library um, at Marine Valley. So thank you, uh, the library, for hosting us today. And thank you, MSA, for helping put this on and bring this amazing speaker to come meet with us. Uh, the MSA board has worked really hard to do some amazing things this semester. If I can have the board just stand up for a second, um, just so that you can see who the board members are. Rezmona, Hassan, Wasim, and Yusuf. Um, they've done a lot of amazing things, and hopefully, inshallah, are going to put on more amazing things during this semester. So thank you guys for your hard work. Um, I'm going to have Yusuf come up here. He's going to do the introduction for our speaker today. Yusuf, can you please come up? Assalamu alaikum, everyone. The Muslim Student Association is very proud to welcome Dr. Sima Imam to speak today with us about the challenges that Muslims face in the West, especially young Muslims in today's world. Dr. Sima Imam is an academic to the fullest extent of the word. She has a master's in educational administration and in specialty, as well as a bachelor's in elementary education and learning disabilities from Northeastern Illinois University. Currently, she is a professor at National Lewis University, where she teaches graduate and undergraduate students. Formerly, she served as the chair of the board of directors of Islamic schools of the Islamic Schools League of America from 2018 to 2021. Prior to this, she served as a member, of large, a member at large for nearly a decade. And she's a mentor of the ISLA Leadership Academy, where she also offers professional development workshops. That's why it's so great that she's here today with us at Marine Valley Community College. Normally, her typical audience members are people from professional development workshops. Yet here she is talking to us. Um, furthermore, Dr. Imam received her Doctorate of Education in Curriculum and Social Inquiry from National Lewis University in 2001. And she also has another doctorate in Islamic theology from the Graduate Theological Foundation. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Sima Imam. So peace and blessings, a warm hello to each and everyone in the room. Uh, you know, good afternoon and thanks, Yusuf, for that awesome introduction. He could have told you I was the founding principal of Universal School and you would have known exactly, right, in Bridgeview, Illinois, where that is. Uh, but he went all over the place and found a bunch of stuff. Um, so, alhamdulillah. I have fond memories of Moraine Valley as well because I taught a reading class here in, I don't know, 95, 96, I think. And I've given many talks to MSA most of them like right around 9-11. But those are my memories of Maureen Valley. I was telling Yusuf as he walked me up, it's changed so much. It's like a college campus, like I hadn't seen this before. So I'm a local community person. I'm a um, human rights commissioner in Hickory Hills. So I live five minutes from here and I've been doing that for a very long time. 
I've been passionately after this topic of identity for a few decades, just a few. Um, done some research on what happens to kids in public school, and more recently, what happens to kids in Islamic schools, around the things you know that happen to them. Um, as a professor, you know, with tenure and having climbed the ladder, you know, I know exactly how hard it is, but I did it with my hijab. So, you know, it's one of those things I really value, treasure, whatever word you want to use, walking the walk, not just talking uh, my Islam. And so my hijab and my devotion to my religion through all the struggles did not deter me from being a practicing Muslim in the Midwest. In fact, it, it didn't even cause me to hesitate, though there were many struggles. I've been spat at. I've been kind of driven off the road. You know, uh, they don't want me there or present. I've had my day in the airport maybe more than once. Um, but, you know, it can't cause us to hesitate. Our identity has to be strong. And so I only share that because I think it's important to think about being openly Muslim wherever we go, wherever we are, and take our place. We are the West. We are the Americans. And so, you know, looking up and looking out in public spaces, maintaining modesty at the same time is just part of being an ambassador to mainstream society. Please don't take anything I say today personally. I don't know if I would offend anyone, but I surely don't want to. And I'm hoping to make you think deeply. So if you're that paper, pencil person, you can take out, you know, your notes or your cell or whatever. There might be something I say that might, you might want to come back to. Um, I would love to chat with you. And if something sparks that question, I have cards and pencils. I'm known for my pencils because my pencils say, um, I follow in the footsteps of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, I follow the sunnah. And you know, when you take a pencil, the end of it is flat. I sharpened them myself and I thought to myself, this is quite a task. I've done this so many times in 20 years. Uh, I have boxes of them. Quite a task to sharpen the pencil. It's quite a task to sharpen our Muslim identities. And sometimes, you know, the pencil gets dull. It's the same way, you know, we're on a roller coaster, you know. We're on a high of being solid in our identity, and then we kind of, shoop, what happened? You know, up and down. Kind of like, you know, the pencil. So I, I do value that, and I know that thinking about it, um, and the straight path, you know, Surah Fatiha, and the footsteps, and the blessings, and, and then not to worry that that's a kiddish thing, that pencil that I offer you, because you may meet someone someday who has one of them, and you may not have yours, though I mentioned it to you. You know, I'm, I'm honored in so many ways to stand in front of you because you are young men and women who are the future, the South Suburbs. You know, we can ask our question, how can we shape our identity, meet the challenges and responsibilities that we have in a modern world? And, you know, we always add that little word, modern world, but you know what? The Quran was made for all times. The Quran was sent for all people. And so we really don't have to worry about that point. 
So it's my hope that I can deliver a few words that are practical and brief, and that we can talk about some challenges. I'm sure we can't talk about all of them. And, and I know that you're all knowledgeable, so forgive me if you ever feel like I'm talking like, wow, I've known that all my life. Maybe I'm making a point about it later. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew where each one of us would live our life. He knew where he was going to place us. How did he find me on a farm in the middle of Illinois? I was 17 when I became a Muslim. And uh, he never will give us more than we can handle. But sometimes we feel so burdened and broken down and not sure how we'll get through something. Uh, but he gave us the Quran and he gave us an example in Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. So I'm always grateful that he found me. It was rough. I, I left from you know, my Christian family and became a Muslim and they really didn't want me anymore. They really weren't that concerned. They thought it was a cult and that I'd be back. And I spent my life, uh, alhamdulillah, as a Muslim. So in today's world, we become increasingly challenged by so many things that have happened since that time. At that time, Islam was not known. I never saw a Muslim in hijab. I came to Chicago from being on the farm. And at that time, we didn't see Muslims walking around. We didn't see you know, men and women with hijab and beards walking down the street. And there, there, weren't, there wasn't a presence of Muslims. So I don't know what you're thinking um, yourself about whether I'm going to hit your challenge or not, but what are some of the Muslim students facing and what responsibilities? That's a key word too, the responsibility. What responsibility do we have that we need to take and take it on in our lives for the benefit of our community. So I kind of created a list, but I could have made it two pages long, and I just gave myself this much space. So I'm going to say seven or eight, and, and I'm just going to read them to you and see if some of those are things you're facing. So alcohol, drugs, illicit sexual conduct. The challenge of paying for higher education depression and anxiety, cultural differences, Islamophobia, and massive amounts of discrimination, excessively negative depictions of Islam and Muslims, kind of almost everywhere, you know, all around us, family harmony, money, and religious practice. See, I put three on a line, that's how I got only eight lines. And we live in a society that promotes same-sex attraction. Social media balance, screen time, and personal productivity. How are we productive in our lives? It's a challenge. Addictions, of which there are many. The one I'll name is the pornographic addiction, one of the most serious. So how do we shape our identity? How do we meet the challenge? How are we going to be um, the example for ourselves, for our friends, for each other, for those who are not familiar with Islam, for society? So I decided long ago, when I became a Muslim, 
what it meant to me to be a Muslim. And that meant that I would adhere to the pillars of Islam, and it's so much bigger than that. That's the most I could muster at the time. <laughs> you know, in 72, um, choosing Islam at the age of 17, when there were no Muslims around, felt like not having a community, losing a community, losing a family, coming to no family, to no community. Nothing really organized. There were two mosques in Chicago, but they were not close to me. And then secondarily, I would begin to raise a Muslim family with the prayer, oh Allah, make them practicing Muslims. And they are. And they're raising their kids. Alhamdulillah. You'll have the same prayer one day, you know, in your own life. And the challenge and the pressure that you'll feel when you're talking to your children and you're not sure how they're taking what you're saying. And you're not sure what they say with their friends about what you said at dinner before they left. So that'll come to you. So there's another um, a kind of obvious example. Uh, I'm going to give you two or three examples of what's changed in America and why I encourage you to do your thing as Muslims at this time in 2023. Okay? So when, when I was a kid, if you had money, you bought something in cash. There was no plastic. So imagine if you had no money and there's no plastic, <laughs> would you be up the creek? Some of you might be up the creek because we only had what we had in cash. Money, plastic hadn't started. That now I've told you how old I am. But in that same time period, we could say that modesty was well, healthy well. I was raised in a very, very modest, value-strong American family. Value strong. But soon it morphed into something that now there's nothing too private to put on the TV screen, the movie, and the digital devices. Nothing is private. Um, I don't know where I used that example, but I did not see the Super Bowl halftime, but I heard about it, and it was immodest in some people's way of thinking. Look it up and see if I'm right or wrong. Shouldn't take my word for it. So then when, when you think about it, when I was young here in America as a Christian child, uh, it was common to have a dress for prom that might be sleeveless or backless, but we had sleeves that we added. We had a sweater or a jacket. So there was modesty. My mother made sure that, you know, that we did that. And we were so happy. We were so happy. We watched as the American teen scene changed over time. We went through the hippie era. You probably don't recall any of that. You might, the books might not even be on the shelf anymore. And the landscape changed. We saw a nation move away from the church. I used to play the organ in church. We saw women who had not worked begin to work. And I've worked my entire life. I'm in a graduate program teaching teachers. We've seen children raised by babysitters and nurseries. And so I say to you, what happened? What happened in American society in the last five decades? I wonder. So since you are the future, you have the ability 
to participate with the other people in your community from churches and synagogues to, you know, decide how our society can be better than maybe, and, and I, I'm saying my opinion, it is now so that we don't have tragedies in schools and children that feel so alone that they strike out against their classmates and their teachers. It's worth looking into. So I say to you, since you are the future, you have that power. You decide how you dress, how you eat, how you talk, how you spend, what you listen to. And, and take note that those in power positions, so I'm speaking now of those who sit in the presidential, you know, cabinet in the United States and other places. Think of the example, you know, mostly white men, but they wear long sleeves and buttoned shirts and you don't see skin. So there have been a very few first ladies who've worn short sleeves or low necks. But most of the time, you don't see that either, although it's changed a little bit. So what I'm saying to you is that the Muslim aura, uh, what we cover, is not so unusual. And we call that, uh, in Islam, we call that aura. And we cover our skin, different from men and women. But the world is ruled by elected officials who also cover their skin. So I feel good about that. I, I feel good about the fact that Prophet Muhammad was a teacher and I'm a teacher. You know, so find the, the things in your understanding of society and culture and education and community that you can identify with because that will give you a strong Muslim identity. There is nothing um, adverse about Islam in the West or any other place. Um, the hijab is not just a scarf, it's about everything we wear. So the loose-fitting clothing, you know, uh, the entire outfit, how we walk, how we talk, it's all part of, you know, bringing respect to ourselves and in our hijab. If we choose to wear it, and not everyone does. And, and that's also fine. So I ask you, do we really need to swear and use language that is disrespectful? When I was a child, no one swore. We got in trouble if we did. So that was part of my identity. We didn't even get, we weren't allowed if we saw a woman who was expecting a baby. See, I can't even say it now. We were not allowed to say, oh, she's pregnant. My mother taught us to say, she's expecting a baby. So the use of language in my lifetime, I've watched and looked and studied this, and you may want to look at some of that, too. And how will you teach, you know, your own children? There are just different ways. And some of it that we had when I was a child in American society, I still value and want to bring it back. So do we really need to? That's, you know, a personal question. Or do we really want to? And does it affect our self-respect? So this is my dua today. Ya Allah, show us to be the example for the world, for society that is modest and clean and honorable and prepare us to meet you, O oh Allah. Ameen. And, and I like to read the surah al-Furqan. The English words are the criterion. And I particularly like that, uh, I've taught Sunday school a number of years, and I particularly liked it. Um, the part that I'm referencing starts at Ayah 63. 
So it's SUR of 25, IS 63, and then kind of through the rest of it. So it asks there, who are the servants of the all-merciful? They are the ones who walk softly on the earth. And you know, earlier I pointed out this modest thing, being loud or rambunctious, you know, would not be walking softly. Who, when someone is belligerent in our daily lives, someone arguing, can then say only peace to that person and not argue. They are, you know, the servants of the all-merciful. And so they are the ones who do not call upon any god but God. And they are the ones who do not commit illicit sexual intercourse. And they are the ones who do not bear false witness other than to God. And so they ask Allah to grant them goodness in their spouses and in their children, and it's their responsibility to maintain and build a Muslim community and a Muslim identity. So we build our identity with patience, with confidence. We should be uh, that word, I don't know who it was, Ibtisam Muhammad, Ibtihaj Muhammad. I think it was her who said, I'm unapologetically Muslim, if you like that phrase. So we build our identity with patience and confidence in our dress, our language, and our eye contact. And we build our Muslim identity by being readers. I know most of you probably read or have or will complete the Quran in Arabic. I don't know how many of you understand the Quran in a way that you know exactly what everything means when you read it in Arabic. So many of us, and I'm speaking for myself, turn to the English, and so I turn to uh, a solid interpretation and translation by Dr. Ahmed Zaki Hamad because he has the translation that is modern contemporary English, so it's the kind of language that I'm used to speaking, so it's so much more meaningful and powerful to me. He lived here in Oak Lawn and for many years, and he was two-term president of ISNA. So if you can read, read the history of America, read the history of the West. And when I say if you can read, I mean if you don't get bored. No, I know you can read. But if you can read without getting bored, history sometimes people say is very boring. I, I don't find it boring, but many people do. Read the American history by the people, Howard Zinn's American history, the people's history. Read Islamic history from both the Muslim and the non-Muslim or the Western author and always know who the author is that you're reading and their background. I love libraries, so I'm really happy to be here. And I saw some books here that I would really read, um, really interesting books. Um, read God's Shadow, Alan McHale. Read Muslim Actually by Tosif Khan. Read Muhammad Fardas. He has the productive Muslim equation for being productive. So when you look back at our challenges, I'm covering some of those challenges with a to-do. So audible books are another option. If you strive for knowledge, you can go on and on if you listen audible books and, and become that leader. Um, <clears throat> so I know that... Um, you know, many of you are from the South suburbs. I know that many of you uh, have had lots of experience um, in Muslim um, organizations and institutions, and that you have heard millions of times that Muslims seek knowledge from the cradle to the grave. 
But I'm just suggesting to you that uh, you keep doing that and that you do not ever think that you do not fit in America. Islam fits well in America. But then there's that question of, you know, being really being Muslim, you know, not being Muslim by name only. So read the principles. There's another thing to catch up with is Islamic uh, pedagogy. Principles of Islamic pedagogy is a really good PDF that you can get for free uh, that will help you be a lifelong learner, but it also help you see that how much it is true that knowledge is power. The more you know, the more powerful you can be. And the better leaders you'll be for the future of the Muslim community in America. You know, the original leaders of the Muslim community were, most all of them were immigrants and they hadn't, you know, come from independent countries, they'd come from colonized countries. And if you've been colonized, your mind is working in a different way. If you're, you know, a product of America, your mind is working in a different way. So you're going to be leaders in a different way, in a different time frame, too. So I encourage you to think in that way. Um, in our homeland, it's become, you know, increasingly challenging. I didn't write that on the list per se, to stay Muslim, to adhere to Islam and beliefs and practices. The schedule is different. I'm not in a clean place. How do I pray? How do I put my foot in the sink? You know, all these things, all these issues. Eventually you say, oh, well, so much work. It's so much trouble. You know, how am I going to keep doing some of these things? You know, um, more and more the public sphere has many people in many neighborhoods and institutions that don't quite understand, you know, what Islam means and what we stand for. And so I think it's important you know, that we interact and that we share that knowledge and that we, you know, express confidence in our faith. And lately I've seen a lot, a lot of, um, you know, the college graduates and the, you know, the young professionals, and, and they're really not, they're not even afraid to say that, you know, they're Muslim by name only, they don't really practice, they have little knowledge. Some perform rituals with little or no meaning, and some are hiding. Some have changed their names, and some have left Islam completely, and some have been affected so deeply by society. And so you have to be aware of protecting yourself, buffering yourself, your identity, you know, who you are. Others of us are in awe, you know, of Western life, of money, of sexual encounters, of the way we dress, of drugs, alcohol, and... And so many think, you know, next month, next year, I will adhere to Islam. I will get back to my prayers. I will get, you know, uh, back on the path, back on the track. But, you know, I've used this example for a long time. If you're going along the path and you're on it, you know, you're solid, you're on it. And you say, it's okay because I'm just going to get a little bit off. You know, a line is 180 degrees, right? And if you get just a little bit off, you know, and you start going down another path. So here it's 20 degrees, right, away from the straight line. But when you get out here, and this straight path gets out here, look how far away you are from the straight path. To come back is a long distance. Well, when you're here, you're just kind of off. You, you can come back quickly. You know, you're not far. You're not distant in that way. So you really want to think about if I'm going to get off just for a minute and the next month or next year, 
I'm going to be a real good Islamic adherent, staying on the path. And then you think about it, you, show, you got to know your geometry because the distance, you know, really becomes big. It really does. And I've had this conversation with some people who are in their 40s, and uh, it's a long way back. There are people in their 40s, you know, and 50s who are saying, how many prayers do I need to make up? And some scholar has said to them, you know, and there are different scholars and different perspectives and views. Well, can you calculate how many you missed? And that's a big math problem to make up the prayers. So it's our choice. We try to be strong and we try to do our best. And so here are some things that, um, you know, I kind of suggest. Of course, reading the Quran in contemporary English and studying with each other, supporting each other, supporting your parents, supporting your siblings. You have no idea how the younger ones are looking at you. You know, one day I had home, I've been homeschooling some of my kids. But I was homeschooling the son of mine, who's now 29. And one of my older sons came in the house and he said, I probably don't pronounce it right because I really don't care much about these things, but a, a really nice like adult shoe, and it had a name, I forgot. He said, whose are those? My older son said, whose are those? Whose shoes are those? And I kind of ignored him because my youngest son had just bought those. And when we bought them, I thought they were kind of, someone a little older than him. So when I said, you know, your, your little brothers, he said, why is he wearing shoes like that? He's not 30 like I am. And I said, well, he liked them. Uh, but I think he liked them because he's looking up to you. And he didn't have the classmates, so he didn't have the Nike pressure, you know. And so look at what we give experiences and, com you know, companionship that we give to our siblings matters. So look at your siblings and think about that. I'm going to go into some of the harder problems that I think we have to think a little bit about. Is, is there anyone around you who's depressed or anxious? Are you depressed or anxious? And how do you get advice? Depression and anxiety are real. If that's something that you are experiencing with yourself or someone else, check out Khalil Center. You may also have, you know, here on campus some support. In fact, keep in mind that the medications that are often given have serious side effects. So get a medical professional to help you, someone in your family, uh, a good friend, a teacher, an imam, someone to help you understand what you're going through. You do not need to traverse the world alone. And you know someone who can help you. You just may not have thought of it. So do you know someone who's doubting Allah? Do you know someone who's thinking, what is this? I don't, what are they saying? I don't know. Um, and if the answer is yes, then you might like to read Jeffrey Lang's book. Yes, I love books. Even Angels Ask. Because we should be asking. So if you're asking or someone around you is asking, then there are answers and there are people to turn to. So you, so you turn to a trusted family member, you turn to an imam, a teacher, an aunt, but you do not have to traverse the world alone. And sometimes it feels like, you know, like you're alone. 
Remember that there's tremendous power in prayer. Unbelievable power in prayer. And I'll give you an example. Um, there was something um, that I was praying for for a very long time. Let's see, from 98 until, I don't know, I think it was 15 years. I can't do the math at the moment. But not that long ago. And 15 years later, I got the answer I was looking for. But that was my good fortune because sometimes prayers are not answered exactly the way that you, you want them. But it was so powerful. It was so unbelievable when that happened. So don't think I've prayed for this on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Oh, stop praying for that because I'm not getting anywhere. No, Thursday and Friday and all this month, next month, next year, keep praying for it. It's worth your patience. And maybe you change the wording. You ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant you that which is good for you in this circumstance that you're facing because you don't know necessarily what's good for you. And, and in that one particular prayer, the fact that it took me that 15 years, um, you know, really made me, uh, it just changed my life, the, the part about getting it answered. Yeah, I didn't even want it as much then as I had. You know, uh, if you knew, you'd probably say, oh, mothers, 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 they have so many hang-ups, right? <laughs> but, yeah, it was about my kids. So I want to say to you, be a participant in society and hold to your standards. You have to figure out, all of us, we have to figure out what are our standards. What is it that we're going to, you know, do year after year after year? And when, when you're my age, a few decades, a few decades, what do you want to say you did in your life? What do you want to look back on? When I left Universal School in 1995, having been the principal, the founding principal for five years in Bridgeview, when I left, it was okay, I was done. But looking back, I have grandkids there. Looking back, it's, it's a different story. So I personally have always been enamored by teaching and teachers. My mother and my grandmother became teachers after their kids were grown up. And by the way, they're not Muslim. But becoming teachers after raising families is really big. I wanted to be a, an art teacher, and then I came to Islam. And at that time, then I became um, an elementary ed teacher. And today I teach you know, people who are getting a master's degree after they've done another program in, in uh, bachelor's or something. So I've learned how powerful, how much power teachers have. And, and that's our prophet, peace and blessings be upon I've understood the role that he played in society. And he was sent as a teacher. He was sent to all of mankind, not just to Muslims. And he was a seal of the prophets and followers, you know, and the followers of Abrahamic faiths who all worshiped the same God. And this knowledge and understanding propelled and propelled us, not just me, in life and where we can stand up for justice, looking at how he stood up for justice and it guided my work in realizing that education is power and that knowledge is power ilm it's it's power so in in closing um, i want to say you know if if you've never really pondered the life and time 
of Prophet Muhammad. Do it now, one day soon. Um, I do wonder how he would react to time and space that we're living in. I really do wonder. I think about that a lot. I wonder, you know, to our devices. You know, I have my phone in Turkey and I'm back because of find my iPhone, right? And I kept saying, you know, to the guy who was looking for my iPhone on the phone, I'm telling him, no, it's got to be there. It says, find my iPhone, it's that address. And they're saying, well, we looked on the bus, we've looked here, we've looked there, we've looked everywhere. It's not there because they're looking with their eyes and they don't see black on black. And I'm looking with technology and it says it's there. So I kept my, held my space and they finally found it because it was already dead, they couldn't, you know, we couldn't play any sounds. So, think about that. What about our language? How would he feel about our language? How would he feel about how we sit, stand, talk, eat? How about the Super Bowl halftime? Um, what would our conversation be like with him? How would he advise us in our challenges? All those challenges that we talked about, you know, all those things. That, that I listed, um, how would he help us? And when, when we think about that, I recall my very first experience as a fifth grader reading about Mohammedans in social studies. And Mohammed, peace and blessings be upon him, but we're not Mohammedans. So the textbooks were wrong from that time when, when I was a child. And so history, and history books have miseducated us on Islam. And it's still going on today. So that's, you know, your patan. I'm passing it to you. Uh, it's all up to us to be, as Muslims, the architects of our Muslim identity and to clear up Islamophobia and the ill attitude toward Islam. And we need to be historians and scholars of, of Islam. So I really want to thank you all for this opportunity uh, to speak with you in February activity and to say that I want to ask Allah to guide, as he guided me to Islam, I want him to always keep me on the path and never take it from me so that he'll take my soul when he takes it as a Muslim. And I ask him to suffice me, my family, my community, you, everyone I know with all that I need so that I need no one but him. I don't have to turn to a credit card company. Ya Allah, guide us to live in harmony in the world around us, because that's the goal of Islam. And I can stop there and say, you know, uh, thank you for listening, and, and maybe you have comments or questions or things you'd like to add or correct. Have at it. And if you would like a pencil or a card, if you don't want to ask it out loud, you can write on the card. No one will know what you asked. To you. Yeah, so if you guys want to ask a question on the microphone, you know, just raise your hand and I could just hand it over to you. There you go. There, there we, we go. go. What were your book recommendations? Oh, which ones? I don't know. I heard one, there was about. Like productivity, how to be productive. On yeah, Islamic. Muslim. Uh, productive Muslim is Muhammad Faris. I think that they've recorded this. So you should be able to get all of them. Uh, God's Shadow was Alan McHale. Um, what else did I mention? I mentioned the Gracious Quran, the translation and interpretation of Ahmad Zaki Hamad. 
Even angels ask, is Jeffrey Lang? Hmm? Have you read it? Yeah, yeah, so it's really good. Even angels ask. So, you know, sometimes we're in an environment where people say you can't ask questions, but yes, you can, because, you know, remember in the seventh heaven, who was asking, you know, why are we asking, why are we doing so many prayers? Why don't we shorten them? Let's <laughs> right? And then he went back and he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, could we, right? And I think there are like 1,400 um, questions in the Quran. Did you have something else you want to ask or say? I'm talking over you. Just the books. I really want to talk about even more. Yeah, it's good. Good. I have a book that has my research and title in um, you know, it's some um, narratives of identity and pluralism, and it's Muslims in public school. And I have a chapter in here, separation of what and state, because we're so involved in other people's religion in public school. So when you were 17 on that farm, how did you find Islam or Islam find you? How did, you know, I always say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, finds you and, and I've talked with other people who chose Islam. It's like a magnet. You don't know what's happening to you. Uh, I went to college and I was about 75 miles from home and I met Muslims in Ramadan. And so two professors and their families um, having iftar. And they invited them, you know, not exactly Muslim Student Association, but an international association of students. They invited that group for iftar. And after a, a few meetings with them, I, I went with a, one of the girls, there were about five students, and I said, hey, you know, everybody keeps talking about the Quran. What is it and how can I get one? And so she took me under her wing and she said, well, let's go to the library. Here we are at the library. I don't know what would happen if we did this today. But we walked up to the, you know, counter. And I said, I would like the uh, Quran. Where can I find that book? And the lady said, who wrote it? I looked at my girlfriend and I said, you know, she goes, you know, it's like the Bible, so it's a, it's a religious book, it's a holy book for Muslims. And when she just said, Muslims, the lady said, oh, we don't have that. Yeah, 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 I got gotcha. you. We don't have that. <laughs> so, well, then I had to order one. So I have one that I actually read. Dr. Sundas, you'd be shocked at how Shakespearean it is. And it was a dollar twenty-five and seventy-nine cents postage. It was by Penguin Books. So it was like a little novel, but it was Quran. I still have it. Um, and so it came in the mail. That's why I'm so attached to the scholar who's an interpretation scholar, because you know the the Quran was not um, translated or interpreted into English until just a little more than, you know, maybe now it's like 120 years, maybe. So I was looking at the behavior of the people and the hospitality and the way they knew their religion. And I just kept sitting with them and sometimes arguing with them. And, and then I became Muslim like five months later. So it was a huge step. 
Yeah, it was a huge step. And I wasn't married to a Muslim. That's what people always think. Oh, yeah, you married your husband, right? No, wrong. I didn't. I became a Muslim. But the problem now, if you want to think about that word, don't call people like me converts. We did that. We converted. We're proud of it. It's okay. But there's no community of converts. We, we became Muslims, so call us Muslim. Like in the Prophet's time, peace and blessings be upon him, those people who followed him became Muslim. Other thoughts, questions, corrections? He has the mic for you. So um, it's kind of complicated a little bit, but if you have somebody that's really close to you and is really lost in this dunya, in the haram and non-Islamic beliefs, even though they were really know Allah and that stuff. I come from, I used to live in Egypt for 12 years, and who I'm talking about is my brother. He's my younger brother. Um, but then we live in a non-Islamic family right now at the moment. So how, like, could I actually help him? He's really, like, lost in this dunya, you know? Like, there's no, he has no way that shows him what's right, and then I can't help him because I feel helpless to help him. You're to not understand. helpless. You're it not just, helpless. I get lost also in this dunya, sure, you know? Sure. And it's really hard to face the halal and like how to get close to God when you don't find any motive. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. And I don't know how to help him because he's the most precious thing for me, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's my question. I don't know if I can answer more than try. But I've had quite a few experiences like that. And the 15-year dua that I made was related to someone who finally accepted Islam. So that wasn't a person, um, it's my usual Thursday afternoon meeting, um, wasn't a person who was raised in Islam. So first of all, you have to make serious, serious dua. And all day long, just think about that. Your brother and your dua for guidance, the best, do the best for him. Do the best for him. Oh Allah, bring him close to you. Just keep making dua. Sincere people get their, their duas answered. If there are other people around you who can also make the same dua, you know, that may, might be like children, you know, like a mother giving birth, like a traveler. Those are duas that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers. Um, another thing that, that I think is we try too hard. So we constantly batter the person with what they should be doing. And they get so tired of us. <laughs> that happens. They get so tired of us that they don't want to come around us because they're always going to get a lecture. So you might want to change, if you're doing that, you might not be doing that, change your, um, you know, style to something different because what you are doing or have been doing maybe didn't work. So whatever your pattern has been in the past, maybe try something different. Um, I think that if you lived in Egypt, he probably reads Arabic, he probably knows the Quran to a certain extent. I think, and you guys can all tell me, you can boo me off the stage, I say this in front of all the Arabic teachers, all the Imams, all, everybody. The mistake has been made. It's generations of mistakes. We didn't understand the Quran, and we still don't. 
That's what I say. And, and I am overwhelmed with how we don't understand it. So I completely immerse myself in the gracious ground, the English interpretation and translation, because when I read Surah Kaab, I know the stories, because I've been reading it every Friday. I may not pronounce it right. You might be correcting all my Arabic pronunciations, because I've never had the unique and special teacher who's gotten it all you know, imparted to me. So maybe something like that. There are some books, Lasting Prayers, One God, you know, that really talk differently from the Islamic perspective. Um, and maybe there's an imam that he could meet with that he'd be willing to meet with. And that's been already discussed. I don't know if I said anything helpful. It's so challenging. Dua is the strongest, most powerful thing. But I believe that, you know, unlike the one I was praying for, he had no foundation. The one you're praying for has some foundation. And people, a lot of times in their age, come back to their foundation. It'll be easier. Yeah. Never turn your back. Yeah. It's hard when you don't have family and you have to be a family. Yeah. And so by you knowing, it's your ability to guide me. And it might hurt you in the process. But by you being there, you're going to help them grow the One day I was fighting with one of my sons. I'm sorry, this is going to be on tape, man. You're going to kill me. But um, it was Juma. And I was having this big argument, and he wasn't coming, Juma. You have to come. You have to come. Come on, come on, come on. And he didn't. So I went myself, and I'm sitting in the football, small gathering. I usually go to a special, small place. And the imam was talking, just like, you know, talking and talking and talking. And he was saying, you know, your family, you can never give up on your family. It's like a band-aid. Your family is stuck on you. It hurts when you pull it off. You cannot ever give up on your family. And all of a sudden, I said to myself, who is he talking to? Feels like he knows. And I turned to see, there's nobody behind me. <laughs> there's nobody else. And yet, that message, because I had said some pretty tough things in my head, self-talk. Well, when I get home, wait till I see what I, where he's living. You know, <laughs> I don't know what I was saying, but I was really upset, really frustrated. And that message, you never, ever, ever give up. So this is your test, and you'll be fine. And he will be too, inshallah. May take time, though. Uh, I think we have time for one more question. Yeah. Sorry, all of them get, they're big. So um, my bad, I actually have two questions. Uh, the first one, if you have time for the second question, the first one is just like, what do you mean by, we don't understand the Quran? I just want to kind of understand what you mean by that. Yeah, and so if we're reading the Quran in Arabic, 
and we can phonetically read it, do we know the words? You may, you may have, you may have grown up in an Arabic-speaking country, and you may understand the Quran when you read it. But I grew up with, in, you know, as a Muslim in Islamic schools, weekend schools, and the, you know, schools like, like Universal. And I've worked with the 300 schools across the country, and one of the problems is that we teach children to read, and we don't teach them the meaning. Do you read Arabic and understand the Quran? Well, not all of it, but yeah. I try to my best. So, yeah, yeah, alhamdulillah, good. I'm glad you asked the question. Clarification is always good. And I do have time for the second one. I think I actually forgot it. Wait, the second one was... Sorry. I forgot it. I forgot oh, it. Oh, yeah. I wanted that one more than the first one. I think, give me a minute, I'll try to remember it. And okay. if someone else has a question, I'm not sure. Okay. The answer was so sufficient that she forgot the first question. Anybody want to comment on anything? Well, I'm teaching graduate school, and so I'm teaching teachers going into public school. And it's a really good question. Um, most of the teachers who are teaching in Islamic schools are people who know Arabic, but who don't know exactly how to break down all the vocabulary. And then there's a the problem of materials. Uh -huh. mm. So we need to take some of the surahs apart and have cards, like flashcards, like we do sight words in, in English. When you were young, you learned how on, only looked, right? O-N-L, you, you saw only, because it's not really going to be pronounced the way it looks, or where and what and once. You know, we learn those words as sight words. And we don't have a system of learning the words from the Qur'an as sight words. And the verbs and things are really hard, right? It seems like he remembers what his second question was. <coughs> All right, uh, yeah, alhamdulillah, I remembered. Uh, so when was the, like, do you still remember the moment that everything kind of just clicked for you? Like, when you just came to a realization that, like, this is it? I do. Um, I do. Can you Absolutely. go ahead and exp explain Absolutely. that for me? So I had had an argument with three or four people um, that were very knowledgeable about Islam, but also about Christianity. Not so much, um, you know, the deep aspects of Christianity, but the prophets. You know, that Prophet Isa is important to Muslims, right? And Daoud, David, and Musa, and Ibrahim, Abraham. And I was just like, that really, really confused me. And so when they started to explain about Isa, Prophet Isa, Jesus, I was like, really? I was taught that he died for my sins. Right? And that was the moment where I said, 
actually, that never made sense to me that I can do all the things I'm doing that some of them are wrong, and then I can repent. And I was kind of like speechless, but there were like 10 people in the room, and I was the only non-Muslim. And I went home just like, wow, it was confusing. And soon after that, I was able to order the Quran and receive it. So that was like from October 1st to March 28th. I had a 50-year celebration last year with my kids and their kids. Because I think it's important to show children that you hold to your religion. It's your religion. It is you. You can't abandon it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you this gift. I feel like Islam for me is a gift, and I feel like it's a gift for everyone. But in my situation, it's, it appears differently because of my situation. But uh, I wanted my, my grandchildren to, to realize time. So I talked to them about 50 years. And then I told them, I gave them this little wooden plaque and I told them that 50 years from now, what year will it be? 22 plus 50 is 72, right? 22 plus 50, you know. So my point in saying all this is that language and how we hold on to things is really, really important. I was holding on to my Christian beliefs in that discussion and that argument in a very strong way. I was a very good Christian. I played organ in the church. And so changing was a challenge because, you know, I was leaving something and going to something, but, you know, that's the moment when I settled the fact that I'm responsible. As a Muslim, I'm going to be responsible for my actions. And the other thing that really appealed to me was the five daily prayers really appealed to me. I mean, we think about how maybe that's tough. Why, how do we do that? How do we get that done with our busy work life? But that was another important point. It was a very tumultuous time because I lost my family completely. For 14 years, I didn't see my family. Yeah, so it's a really tough time. After many years, though, my mother came and started visiting me, and um, she told me that, you know, my kids are raised the way she raised her kids, and she accredited that to religion. So that was like solace to my heart, <laughs> peace, right? When your mother says something like that, it's peace. What else? Anybody? Hopefully this was meaningful to you. Say something worthwhile. Yusuf, it's yours. Oh, your floor is yours. <laughs> Again, I want to thank everyone for coming today. And also, I want to thank Dr. Seema Imam for showing up today, giving us this great speech, answering all of our questions. I'll give a round of applause for Dr. Seema Imam. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. I also want to thank you, and I wanted to just bring up, you had brought up depression and um, resources on campus. We do have a counseling department here on campus. Mm. Some of you may be aware it's an S-202 uh, 
across from the academic advising office, we have some really great counselors that you can sit down with, either mm. Muslim or non-Muslim. Obviously up to you what, what you're most comfortable with. But please, if you are struggling with something and something, they are confidential. They will not disclose anything unless you're gonna cause harm to somebody or yourself. They're, they will keep everything confidential so that um, you feel comfortable sharing your issues with them or your challenges with them and making sure that you get some sound advice. So please take advantage of that. And if you forget any of this, you can always come find me in S201. I'm an academic advisor as well. Um, I don't do counseling, but I do advising in terms of your education. So feel free to come visit me as well. Um, the students did get a present oh, for you. Oh my goodness. And so we were that. just really excited to see you. Oh, thank you so um, much. You didn't need to Yus do that. Yusuf heard you somewhere and he was like, we, we need to have her on campus. We need to have her on campus. <laughs> thank um, you. So thanks to Yusuf thank you, you're Yusuf. here with us today. And we're, we're so glad um, to have oh, you. And we appreciate your time. It was really nice to hear some of your background um, mm. outside of just your educational background. Mm. So. It's, uh, it helps us connect a little bit uh, more. So thank you yeah. so much again. Thank you. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your day, your evening.